Well, again, welcome. We're going to be in uh, in the gospel here this morning, and in First uh, Peter, First Peter chapter one. And from time to time, as Norm's been gone, we've and as we've done uh, often through time, and take a step back from our exegetical approach through the scriptures and the Old Testament and the New Testament, and then. Occasionally we bring uh, messages on grace, and the last uh, times uh, Norm's been gone, we've ha- we I brought a lesson on uh, election in Romans, and today is the message is titled "Elect According to Foreknowledge," and that comes from First Peter uh, chapter one. So <clears throat> we we kind of went through this. Uh, many years ago you know, when we did a study here in First Peter and we covered this in some detail but uh, we're just going to highlight just a little bit of it here this morning and, and as Peter writes to these the churches that are in this this area which now modern day Turkey here in the scriptures called Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia Asia and Bith- Bithynia those were uh, places where the the Brothers had been driven, driven away because of Christianity. They'd been driven out by the Romans. They'd been driven out by the Jews, and they'd been dispersed. They call it the Great Dispersion, and they'd been driven up into this northern area. And they were kind of abused. They'd kind of lost their livelihood. They'd lost connection with a lot of family, as we mentioned in our Bible class then. And and uh, society had kind of rejected them and the the things of commerce had kind of uh, been done away with because the Jews would have no dealings with them and so they had a lot of obstacles and and they were in a new country I don't know if many of you've been to move to a new area where that you're not familiar with and and learning new things and lay of the land and uh, what to watch out for and all those things they were up against and people generally didn't care for them so he writes in First Peter, Peter chapter one verse one: Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers, or uh, that word translated pilgrims in many editions, uh, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, and then he calls them elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. He brings out the entire gospel there. He has the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all actively engaged uh, for the church there. And, and he's, given the, he's trying to give them some comfort here uh, that they recognize the circumstances that they're in now spiritually versus the spiritual or the physical circumstances that they're in. And, and they're not to be a kind of... A, confused there and in verse 3 says blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time and wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through 
manifold temptations. So he's kind of making a comparison there that uh, here's what you have that's been done for you uh, spiritually by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit versus the, these uh, things that they're faced with in the physical world. And, and the, you know, the same is, uh, could be applied to any, any group of the church at any age. They're always, they're always up against the same, the same things. So uh, anyway, he gives them great comfort in saying, here's, here's the good things. I know you're in a bad spot and things are not everything that you would like them to be, but here's some things to rejoice in. You're elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto the obedience of Christ and sprinkling of his blood, grace uh, unto you and peace be multiplied. <clears throat> so it's just a, a wonderful verse that tells us that the, the three persons of the Trinity, the three persons of the triune Godhead were and they were completely united and personally involved in the effectual redemption of the church. They, Christ and the Father and the Spirit had an interest in them before the foundation of the world. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, the foreknowledge of God is a, as we discuss many times as we're talking about God's attributes, are all, all of his attributes are eternal and immutable. That means they're, they're they're always and they're unchangeable and and his foreknowledge is an eternal immutable attribute and is based solely and entirely in his sovereign purpose and grace in electing love uh, and uh, the 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 very kind of words election and elect are kind of distasteful to religion because they take away from man his ability and put it all in God, <laughs> which is where it is. So, uh, you know, it's interesting that it's interesting the different uh, applications that, that people will make of the same uh, terminology. You know, and when we define elect in, as it is in the scripture, it means to select, choose, or make choice. Now, the electee is merely a recipient of the action of the elector. And that's a principle that we all engage in here. Coming up next November, we're all going to engage in electing a president and various senators and congressmen and local officials and stuff. We, we all elect them. <clears throat> but uh, the electee is merely a recipient of that action of other people, external action of other people. Uh, and then we have this word in the middle of this, elect according uh, to foreknowledge. Well, as defined, uh, according is uh, rendered from a translation of this specific Greek word kata, which means it's a, it's a primary particle, a preposition which joins and associates the previous term or subject, which was elect and connects that uh, to the next word specifically 
as it pertains to and with regards to concerning the foreknowledge of God the Father. So the, those two words are connected rather strongly with this Greek term according. So, uh, <clears throat> so we're elect as it pertains to, as it regards to, as it concerns foreknowledge of God the Father. And if we looked at the word foreknowledge, we would see that it's a two-word, uh, two Greek words connected together. One is pro, which means before, and gnosis, which means not to to know. And in, generally in the scripture, it's it's uh, used in a an intimate, absolute sense, like like Adam knew his wife, or uh, Mary knew not her husband until she brought forth the savior so we find those 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 uh, applications of it and it's it's usually used in cases of int intimate absolute knowledge and <clears throat> to see the truth of this that god actually foreknew a people and one thing as we will probably stress this a couple of times we always find when it's talking about foreknowledge in the in the scripture it's always talking about a whom not a what and so um, as we see this uh, demonstrated throughout the scriptures and in the Old Testament sometimes we find this election and foreknowledge not uh, a lot of the religions say well the, the only there's only five verses that talks about election and predestination and, but we find that principle applied everywhere in the scripture and and we'll look at a couple of them right now but uh, uh, the fact that God foreknew a people and elected or chose them based on that eternal love and sovereignty we, we don't have to go any further than the word of God himself and as he issued this commentary on what he caused to be written aforetime <laughs> from uh, we'll look at uh, a couple of examples from first and second king but in Luke chapter 4 and we were we were in Luke chapter 4 several years ago here in Luke chapter 4 verse 25 Jesus is explaining some things and he says but I tell you a truth Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And that comes to us from 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 9. Now in the Hebrew, that, that word is Zarephath, the widow of Zarephath is called and and you know the Lord said to his prophet he said, I want you to go down to Zarephath and and I I have commanded a widow there to sustain thee that isn't that an interesting verse he, he tells a lot I have commanded a widow there to sustain thee and when he gets there she doesn't have anything she she says I can't even sustain myself <laughs> We got like one morsel of bread left and teaspoon oil and after that we die, we starve. And what happens is the Lord ends up sustaining her after he said, I've commanded a woman there to sustain uh, you. And uh, 
another side note there is that uh, Zarephath was a Phoenician city, a seaport Phoenician city. Uh, they worshipped some Phoenician gods there. But God uh, had declared that there was a woman there that he was going to have mercy upon whom he would have mercy. And there was a, a Gentile woman there that 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 was part of his elect, part of his people that whose names were written in heaven from before the foundation of the world. And, and then he goes on to say, and in verse Luke 4.27, there were many lepers in Israel. A whole ton of lepers in his hometown of, of Israel, home country, in the time of Lysias the prophet. And none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. Well, Naaman was a Syrian. <laughs> and the interesting thing, if we go back to Second Kings chapter 5, verse 1 through 27, we'd find out that the, the Syrians had just sent the army down uh, south to raid Israel. And they went down there and raided and pillaged. And they kidnapped this young woman, this young maiden, as she's called, kidnapped her and brought her back as a slave in the household of Naaman. And of course, you know, Naaman was a leper. And she said, would God that my Lord would go to the prophet that's in Samaria and he would be healed of his leprosy by him. And so they, of course, you know that story. They all took the, the wrong approach and the king the Naaman, the general, was a favorite of the king, and so the king sent this letter and a bunch of treasure and stuff with Naaman and said, wrote to the king of Israel, said, hey, I'm sending my guy down there. I know we just pillaged you, but here's some money back, and would you please heal my servant because I really like him. And the king going, oh, I have no ability to do that. I cannot do that. And... So anyway, he ends up going to the prophet there and and the prophet says, okay, why don't you uh, go down to the Jordan River and dip yourself seven times? And, and he didn't even come out. He just had a servant go out and just a preacher of the gospel came out and said, here's the, what the word of the Lord said. Go dip yourself in the river seven times and you'll be healed. And he just got so angry. The, the scripture said he was in a rage about that. And isn't that what we find about when we talk about election and stuff? When we talk about the Lord's grace, that generally in religion, they just go into a rage about that. That's just not fair. That's just not right. Uh, but, you know, what makes you to differ from another? We'd all be in the same boat if it weren't for grace. And, and that's why the church loves it so much because... He, he pulled us out of the miry clay, pulled us out of that pit of corruption that we're in and had mercy on us and, and, and we wouldn't have pulled ourselves out. Uh, uh, <clears throat> so here we have this example that we just read from Luke about both Gentile countries and, and grace being limited to those whom God directed grace, mercy to whom he would have mercy and and. No obligation to the rest. It doesn't say one word about the rest. They were just left to go on worshiping whatever Phoenician god or Syrian god they wanted to. And, and, 
but it, the, the grace that was exhibited was specific. And, you know, many, if not most, the commentary writers have defined, they've actually they've redefined foreknowledge as a what. And I was just reading one yesterday. God, in his omniscience, looked down from heaven and he saw who, he foresaw who would respond positively to the gospel. And then he elected them. <laughs> Isn't that kind of ridiculous or backwards? Uh, it's, it's just crazy. But uh, it changes it from what God did uh, and and uh, by his foreknowledge and election, it takes it away from one who will positively respond to the gospel and renders the final aspect of salvation uh, to an action on the part of one who's dead. That the scripture says, like Lazarus, uh, he was just laying there dead. He, he was not able to respond positively or, or otherwise. He could just, he he wasn't in a position to say, "Sorry, God, I don't come under my own terms. I'm not coming." When when Jesus said, "Come forth," he came forth, uh, and you know, there's there's kind of a partly hidden truth in that God through his omniscience knew who would respond well he knew who would respond because he foreordained who would respond who who would who would be called who would who would be attracted to the gospel acts 13:48 says as many as were ordained to eternal life believed well what about the ones that weren't ordained to eternal life they they didn't uh, doesn't mention them very so <clears throat> the, we have to keep the the horse in front of the cart here as it were uh, Romans is very clear and we kind of covered this in our last section on Romans election in Romans but uh, as as has to do with foreknowledge in Romans 8:29 it says for whom and that's a that would be an important word to underline for whom he did foreknow, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. So we have two actions of God. He foreknew a people and then he predestinated them uh, to a certain outcome uh, that he might be the firstborn among many, many brethren. And then in verse 30, he says, and more than that, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he justified, and whom he justified, he also glorified. So he has kind of a, an, a sequence of events here from a divine perspective. And man just sort of reverses all that and, and puts the onus all on man to be the, the impetus for uh, salvation. And again, uh, we find like Naaman uh, in our natural condition, we rage about that. We, we don't like it because it takes away our ability as in, we, in our minds that we have some say about our, our, our outcome here. Uh, <clears throat> so in First 
Peter in our text in the opening words designed to let the church there be secure in the knowledge of their relationship with God not based uh, you know in religion they'd be saying oh man we all these bad things happen to us uh, who did sin either this man or his father that they got sent off to Turkey <laughs> and they got banished from their home and thrown out and they lost all their home and savings and blah 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 and then uh, we find that their circumstances were uh, due uh, to God and not a, a judgment or punishment, but entirely based on God's sovereign choosing and according to foreknowledge and not of works, merit, or performance. And they were there where they were at for some purpose of God, and that purpose would be the furtherance of the gospel. They would go up into that region and they would be preachers of the gospel in that in that area and so <clears throat> when we look at elect election or terms which precisely declare that God has sovereignly chosen or made a choice and elected persons just as we hold elections to choose representatives in government and the electing choice is based on his sovereign love and determinate foreknowledge and not not any works you know norm read a verse here the other day the king's heart is in the hand of god and like a river he turneth whichever soever way that he wants it he commands that and and that's what happens or i commanded this widow in in zarephath to sustain you he commanded and that's what that's what happened and then he, he one of the one of the great things that we always find in the scriptures whatever god demands he supplies so he says i commanded this woman to sustain you and she didn't have nothing to sustain him with so god supplied everything that she needed to to sustain him and and herself so that's what we always find in the scripture <clears throat> it's not of their own uh, works or uh, their own responses and the children not having uh, yet been born neither having done any good or evil for that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works but of him that calleth it was said to her the, the elder shall serve the younger as it is written Jacob have I loved but Esau have I hated so there we have a, a reference back to the Old Testament where God made a choice made an election made a decision on loving a certain people and foreknew them and <clears throat> before they were born it says before they were born and that was recorded for us in Micah uh, that that occurred and it's being quoted here in, in Romans uh, Jacob have I loved but Esau have I hated before they were born and you know Jesus declared in John I like that verse that Mike brought out in the Bible class today when he's talking to those disciples you did not choose or it's the same word as elect it's a say it comes from the same root word uh, you've not chosen me and that's our natural condition you've not chosen me but I have chosen you <laughs> elected you and then he says more than that it's just like Romans the golden chain of redemption I've chosen, I've chosen you and ordained you that means to be placed or appointed or purposed 
that you should go forth and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain and whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. But all those that were external actions on those guys uh, that he called, he was going down the beat and he says, follow me. And they dropped what they were doing and, and they did follow him. Uh, so <clears throat> it's just adamantly stated in in this election of God is just based entirely in his sovereign right and will and power. And to the religious folks, they say, well, that's not fair. Why isn't it just go out equally? Well, if it went out equally without any divine intervention, we would none, none of us be there because the scripture says there's none that seek God. <laughs> it says that a couple times in Psalms and uh, different places, but there's none that understandeth, none that seeketh God on our own. We, we'd be like Adam. We'd, we'd be busy about sewing our aprons of fig leaves. And, and we'd be like Cain, trying to bring, bring our watermelon and our cantaloupe and our zucchini and leeks and whatever else he uh, built up in his garden there and trying to uh, satisfy God with that. On the, on the human side... There, there's just none that, that chooses God. And not only does man not choose God because having lost that ability, that capacity in the fall, we're actively engaged against him. And as uh, it says in Isaiah, we, he's despised. <laughs> That's the natural man's reaction to God in his sovereign truth, in his right as the sovereign king and creator and lord he's despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him he was despised and we esteemed him not boy there's just a lot said there about our natural condition corinthians says uh, the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of god for they are foolishness unto him neither can he know them. That word speaks to ability. They have no ability uh, because they're spiritually discerned. And that's why Jesus said in, in 644 of John, no man can come to me. They have no ability to come to me like Lazarus. They, they have no ability to come to me except for one thing. The Father which sent me, draw them. Uh, an external application there again where there's no ability based on his electing love according to his foreknowledge. Again, foreknowledge based on whom and not what. And foreknowledge is uh, it's not random. It's based specifically on his purpose. The whom in our text from Romans 8 specifically defines the whom as the ones whom God foreknew whom he called according to his purpose and and we can read that in Romans 8:28 and and we we have time we'll just read that real quick Romans 8:28 through 30 and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose and there again we have the proper order of things and we find that we love him 
because he first loved us who are the called uh, to them that love God. Well, there's nobody that loves God until he has loved them first. <laughs> and even uh, they don't understand that until the rebirth because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then we find out that he died for us. And then we say, hmm, it's because he first loved us that he gave his life for us. <clears throat> so for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. He's, I like that scripture we read here a couple weeks ago. I know my thoughts toward you, thoughts of love, to give you an expected end. That's predestination, my friends, to give you an expected end. And them who he did predestinate, them he also called. That's what he said. You know, God chose by the foolishness of preaching the gospel of his son to save them which believe. And then we don't even do that by ourselves. We find out from Ephesians that we believe according to the working of his mighty power. So we can't even muster that little portion of it up and, and make a right call and... Uh, so whom he called them he justified rendered innocent without spot or wrinkled uh, through the blood of Christ we're rendered completely innocent and whom he justified them he also glorified the election or choosing of God is based solely in his own purpose in doing so and for, for no other reason because he has that right to do it so the elect then elect according to the foreknowledge of God the elect then are what what is referred to in Romans chapter 9 as we looked last time the vessels of mercy afore prepared unto glory so that's an important phrase to kind of get from Romans 9 22 and 23 vessels of mercy of four prepared unto glory you know a vessel only contains what's put in it a vessel is not capable of self-pouring. <laughs> not, not, not able to fill itself up with anything. You know, religion has kind of developed uh, the gospel into a sort of a self-licking lollipop kind of a thing. <laughs> being, I was being facetious there because everyone knows a, a lollipop does not have the ability to lick itself. Well, if we make if we take that and make it a spiritual application, we'd find that someone who's dead in trespasses and sin does not have the ability to raise themselves from the dead and to believe or to do anything unless uh, some external force is applied to them to to cause that to be. And then the flip side of that verse in Romans nine, uh, chapter twenty three, the non elect, the ones that God sovereignly decided to just let go on in their own merry way in this world there are the rest who are in their natural condition who apart from the mercy of God reject him they reject God they reject the true God they reject the very all these things that we've brought out about him his nature and his sovereignty and his righteousness and his holiness and his immutability <clears throat> they don't like any of that they're in enmity against him and choosing instead their own ideas of righteousness and works over what God has before determined would satisfy him. And they are then 
what the scripture refers to here in Romans 9.23, vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. Those who, and Norm mentioned this here a while back, he said those were who are in revolt against God and they're in opposition to him. That it, Scripture says they're at enmity with him. It's, just, it's worse than just, nah, I don't like that. It's hatred. It's actual active hatred toward God and especially as we get into these terms that take away from the ability of man to have anything to do with his own salvation and God says well where is boasting then <laughs> if I take care of it all there's no boasting on your part because you didn't have anything to do with it it's not of you that runneth not of you that willeth but God that showeth mercy and that's what we find out after we've been uh, born again after we've had the rebirth we find out all the things or most of the things he's done to us some of us we're just in a the more we learn about what he's done for us the more we learn that we don't know all the things that he's it's an endless endless array of grace that's from before the foundation of the world that has brought all his people back to him and uh, <clears throat> so the vessels of wrath are those who would have God act in accordance with their will and purpose which contradicts the almighty eternal sovereignty of God in all things many of them say well God is sovereign in everything but this well sovereignty is an absolute you can't pick and choose sovereignty you're either sovereign or you're not sovereign there's no ambiguity in that terminology and in a definition that redefines that with a word but or except is is in error that's just all you can say it's wrong you can't say God is sovereign except you can't say that and if you say that he's not sovereign that's that's not right and you can't say he's sovereign in everything but and because that, that's not right <clears throat> and a simple quick trip to Webster's Dictionary would alleviate that and anybody that knew anything about kings in the Old Testament we just had lessons in Esther Wednesday night the king wrote an edict and it according to the law of the Medes and the Persians it cannot be altered it's absolute his word was sovereign it could not be changed and and as Norm alluded to that application spiritually to uh, God Almighty his word is I am the Lord I change not therefore you're not you sons of Jacob are not consumed that's sovereignty is at an absolute and it's not a concept it's a it's just a fact it's just a truth <clears throat> you know in in Romans uh, 9 11 where he says uh, in electing Jacob and hating Esau God had no respect to anything but his own purpose. That's what uh, Robert Haldane, commentator in the 1800s, wrote. Uh, he was only obligated to his own will and purpose. He had no obligation to people that hate him. He had no obligation to those who despise and reject him and have no, no use for him and don't like anything about him. He only has an obligation to those whom he gave to the Son to redeem 
in the covenant of grace. So the same was applied in Genesis regarding the respect to the offering of Abel and not respect according to the offering of Cain, which was according to his incorrect will and assumption. I can do whatever I want and it ought to be okay. The choice of God was according to his own purpose and will and decree. And he says, unto, unto Abel he had respect to his offering, and unto Cain he had not respect. And, and Cain didn't say, I'm sorry, let me do that over. Get it right. He, he became frustrated and angry and killed his brother. <laughs> That's the natural bent of things unless we're overcome by um, divine mercy. And so again, when did when did God foreknow these people that it talks about in First Peter? Elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Well, in Jeremiah thirty-one three, it says, "The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, or an eternal love." That's what that word really means. And uh, Norm's always saying, uh, "Eternity forward and eternity backward," and but. It's a much broader scope, really, than that. But eternity means eternity. I've loved thee with an eternal love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. That same drawing that Jesus mentioned in uh, John six forty four. No man can come unto me unless the Father which sent me draw him. In Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 4 and 5, it says, According, there's that same word that we find in Peter 1, 2, elect according to foreknowledge. He says in Ephesians 1, 4, according as he hath chosen us, or elected us is the same word, in him before the foundation of the world, that, or with the result being that we should be holy and without blame before him. And then we have further action by God not only has he chosen us in Christ, the result is that we'll be holy and without blame before him. And then he says, in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his sovereign will. Uh, I put sovereign in there because that's what that verse implies. His purpose, the good pleasure of his will and so this election is such a wonderful thing that that makes the difference between us and and everything else that 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 hates god in in matthew 24:31 he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other and we have a glimpse of that in the Old Testament that we read in First and Second Kings, with with uh, the widow of Zarephath and Naaman the Syrian being Gentiles, not just of not all Israel who are of Israel. Uh, in Isaiah sixty-five nine, I'll bring forth a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains, and my elect shall inherit it and my servant shall dwell there. Matthew twenty five thirty four. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, 
inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And that's kind of that reference, a New Testament reference from uh, Isaiah 65.9. And, of course, Revelation 17, their names uh, written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And, uh, you know, from a fleshly standpoint, this truth of election according to foreknowledge is just repugnant. They just hate it. Highly offensive, rejected as unpalatable to human nature, which insists incorrectly that to be fair, there has to be some merit or performance that has to be taken into account regarding salvation. How can I not work toward my... Why doesn't my works count? Well, boasting is excluded. <laughs> That's what the scripture says. It's all his work. And in the natural scheme of thing, work then become a substitute for the true substitute and not a function of eternal electing love and all the things that God does for us in, in whom, he called, whom he foreknew, them he called and justified and, and so on as we read in Romans 8. <clears throat> you know that the actual terms and their clear meanings are just then disregarded uh, Haldane said this is uh, what we call evasion <laughs> we can't address these correctly or even read them out loud so we just choose to evade them we just don't go there we'll just continue to preach on behavior and uh, marriage and blah 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 and all the things that they go into and church history and church authority and all those things but the actual terms and they're pretty clear in their meaning and and they're they've been subjected to what call, Paul called this concision in uh, Philippians chapter 3 verse 2 he said beware of dogs beware of evil workers beware of the concision and that word concision means mutilation and in verse 3 he says for we are the circumcision so he contrasts those two words which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh now circumcision was a thing that uh, God instituted with Abraham in the Old Testament to demonstrate casting away of reliance on the flesh they cut that flesh off and threw it away and uh, then it was just symbolic it had no physical effectual property other than it identified them as a Jew <clears throat> but spiritually didn't have any effectual consequence it was just a picture it's just like the baptism it's just like the Lord's Supper it's just like all the things that we have that are types and shadows and figures. He said, we cast that away and that picture is that we have no confidence in the flesh. And that's what that circumcision. But he says, beware of the concision, which is just the mutilation. And he's referring to the mutilation of the gospel by adding things to it or cutting away things from it that are actually in there. When you take away Ephesians, when you take away Romans 8 and 9 and 10 and 11, 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 15 and 16 and 17, 
when you cut all that out, that's that's concision, people. That's just mutilating the truth of, of God. And he says, beware of that. Don't let somebody come up to you and say, well, it's all true except this part here, which we don't like and we don't understand. <clears throat> and as Mike says, we may not understand everything, but that doesn't uh, diminish the truth of it. And we trust it that if it's written down in the scripture, then then that, of course, must be the final word on it. And <clears throat> so, you know, it's it's beyond our present capability to fully grasp the full import and majestic operations of God in our behalf. We just we just can't grasp that. And but you know, He does give us grace to believe it <laughs> that He's. He's written our name in the Lamb's Book of Life from before the foundation of the world, that, that he's affected everything necessary for us to be redeemed. He sent his son to die in our place, and not randomly, not as a the notion that he died indiscriminately for every person on the planet. That If, his, if he died and his blood was shed for them, then they are going to be right there next to you in heaven. And if he didn't, then that's that's what we believe. I, he he laid down his life a ransom for many, is what the scripture said. And even so, at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. Grace means no merit, without merit. <clears throat> and if by grace, if it's without merit, then it's no more works than, and <clears throat> otherwise grace is no more grace but if it is by works then grace is not involved if you can earn your way or do or say or whatever then great we don't need grace if if works were able to supply that oh the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of god how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out that means not capable of being fully explored or searched out, not being able to trace or track them as they are solely to be found in his sovereign purpose, will, and person, and not of any human source, motivation, or impetus. And again, the, the natural object, well, God's not fair if he does that. Well, he's not under obligation to be fair to us. If he was fair, we'd all be charcoal. <laughs> so <clears throat> the truth of election according to God's foreknowledge then is it's a great freedom to the church because it's not based on what we do or don't do it's based on God if it was based on our own doing then Naaman would still be a dead leper in Syria and the widow would have starved to death and the the dead people that Christ encountered would still be dead and and all those things. Uh, <clears throat> it's based on God and in, and in salvation he reveals to us his great love and work to bring us to himself. All the Father giveth me shall come. I can't tell you how many times I've been comforted by that scripture. Because I know that when someone comes here, they're going to hear the gospel. Maybe they come once, maybe they come twice, and maybe we never see them again. But we know that 
they've heard the gospel and that if God is going to make it effectual, then he, can, he will use that. All the Father giveth to me uh, shall come to me, and no man cometh to me except the Father which sent me draw him. So be free and confident in God. He never fails.